Hello, welcome back to Leading Matters. Joel Caparella here. If it's your first time here, as always, I'd like to let you know what we're all about. And we are, as the title suggests, that uh, we discuss leading matters. Matters that impact leadership, the fact that leadership has a huge impact on our businesses. Leading matters, in other words. Um, and uh, listen, I, I get into this crazy habit of saying, oh, this is a great episode. You're going to love this one. But it's true. You know, every, every one I've done of these, I've gained some value. And that's why I do it. I do it to share... Um, you know, to kind of expand your reach to hear from business leaders of uh, different types of businesses so you can gain some insight into what's working, what's been uh, contributing to their success. And today is absolutely no exception. I, matter of fact, I just edited uh, this episode up about uh, 10 minutes ago or so, and uh, I, I recorded it two weeks ago and finally got around to editing it today. My apologies to uh, my guests for, for dragging my feet on it. But I was, man, it, it's a great uh, 40 some minutes and it's a longer one because uh, because I was having uh, such a good time with it maybe a little bit self-indulgent because of the subject matter which I'll get to in a second but I think there's a great value for, uh, to be had here so hopefully you're downloading these if you're in the car or wherever you might be I, I promise you you're going to get some great value out of this so okay enough teasing it who are we talking to we're talking to Kyle Scott Kyle is the founder of Crossing Broad. Crossing Broad, if you're not from the Philadelphia area or not a sports fan, is a sports blog that covers the four major sports in the Philadelphia region. I mean, he, he gets a little bit beyond just the four majors, but mostly it's uh, the four major sports, um, you know, the Flyers, the uh, Sixers, the Eagles, and the Phillies. Uh, but more importantly, it, it, Crossing Broad focuses on on the cultural and entertainment aspects of sports as they impact our region. And what here, here's why I love the episode. Look, Kyle's a small business. It's him and one other guy. That's it. He's uh, doing literally everything himself except writing the posts that he doesn't write. And even those, I'm assuming he edits. Um, and he's got a readership of about 300-some thousand a month. His blog is incredibly influential. I mean, if you're a sports figure and you've done something stupid on social media, you're going to end up on Crossing Broad. So, uh, you know, he keeps people honest. He, um, he adds color to the sports commentary as it goes throughout the year. And more importantly, he is capitalizing upon the continuous shift of media as it impacts uh, the way we receive our information and news. Now, look, that's not, that's not a new story. And there's obviously plenty out there that have done that and, and do that today. But what I think you're going to find interesting in this interview is a lot of the consistencies that you'll hear as you hear in all these episodes. So what are they? Well, you're going to hear Kyle talk about his focus areas, how he arrived at that area, the importance of why, um, you know, the importance of focus itself and how he knew from the outset that he wanted to differentiate and he chose a very specific way to differentiate it. He talks about adding value. He talks about, look, if I'm going to produce this site and this information, I want to add value to the conversation of sport in the Philadelphia region. So he does that. He talks about his, his, uh, his different uh, approaches to monetizing the site and what's worked for him. Um, you know, he does this thing with t-shirts, right? And it's funny because he's got this colorful commentary on his blog. If you read his blog, pre-prepared, some of the posts are uh, not safe for work type of uh, comments on his blog. Not the post, but the commenters. So the commenters have, it's like a whole separate part of the entertainment value of the site, the, the commenters and what they're doing. 
and they give him a really hard time for a, uh, for what they say is hawking t-shirts, right? But I don't see it that way at all. I think what he's done is he's been very intelligent with how he's connected whatever culturally is happening across the sports landscape and then creating merchandise around that landscape. Uh, it's intelligent. Look, the guy is a smart guy. He's a Villanova grad. Um, he's from the Philadelphia region. He's been he uh, has been doing crossing broad since 2009. It's incredibly successful, and I enjoy it. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So, with no further ado, uh, or without further ado, which is it? <laughs> I don't even know. Anyway, let's get on with it. Here is Kyle Scott from Crossing Broad. Joined today uh, by Kyle Laskowski. You might know him better as Kyle Scott. Kyle is the founder of what is called, what he calls, the most irreverent sports blog in the Philadelphia region. And it's also the most popular, I think, up around 300,000 video, uh, visitors per month. And if you, if you, first of all, if you haven't, say you're across the country and you want to know what's really happening in the Philadelphia sports landscape, Crossing Broad is the destination that you need to hit because Kyle has his fingers literally, I know it's cliche, but on the pulse of of, uh, the passion of the of the city and the region, and also what's truly happening, um, as far as you know, from the fans' perspective, but also as the consumer of sports as entertainment. That's the way I like to look at it, anyway. So, first things first, Kyle, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a, a fairly busy schedule to to join me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for having me. So, listen, what I want to talk about today is really just the you know what. You've been at it since about 2009, so I want to kind of examine the model of it because my perception, and it could be wrong, is that it's. It, I don't know. Did you start out with the intent to make this your living, or it was more of a, a hobby that turned into a business opportunity? So help me understand the motivation behind Crossing Broad. Um, yeah, I, I started it off um, with the the idea in the back of my mind that I wanted to turn it into a into a full time thing. Um, I, I honestly thought it was. A long shot, for sure. I had started. I started at the end of 2009. I had started a few other sports blogs over the years before that. Um, graduated college in 2005. So in that time, I kind of was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Kind of hated my jobs. Um, so I had started a couple of other sports blogs and thought there was a way to make it work. I saw you could see at that point a lot of success in. I'd say definitely uh, tech and political blogs where they were becoming part of the mainstream. And that really, with the exception of, of like Deadspin, that really hadn't happened yet for sports. So I, I thought there was an opportunity there. And I was just trying to figure out uh, maybe when I had started them in 2006 and seven, it was just a little too early. Um, but I started in 2009. I was like, you know, I'm going to stick, stick with this um, and really see if I can make this work and figure out a way to make money with it. But you know, I mean, I, I probably thought it was a long shot, um, and I, I wound up quitting my job a year later to do it full time. I mean, definitely took a pay cut at that point, but uh, it you know wound up paying off. So started with that uh, idea, but it was always sort of a hobby of mine to do this sort of thing, and I figured, let me see if I can I can you know make a living doing it as well. You know, I love that you brought up the political blogs, right? Because I think they were probably the first ones that really capitalized on the way media shifted. Especially when we're looking for you know content that we're predisposed to want to read about, right? Uh, and it's interesting because I, I I I didn't realize that, right? So that's kind of I think enlightening, right? So t how, talk to me about that. Like, what about this? Uh, you noticed obviously that that political commentary and punditry was was moving to dedicated properties online. I mean, was there any one in particular that said, "Wow, that would probably work on the sports side of thing," or was it more just an observation? 
Um, I think it was more of an observation. I mean, I, I definitely read a lot of tech blogs. Um, you know, it's so like 2006 or 2008, nine, pretty interesting time. You know, BlackBerry was kind of in the mainstream, and then the iPhone came out, and there was a lot of interest around that. So there were a lot of like, tech sites, gadget sites sprung up then, and I used to read a lot of them, kind of like a you know a tech nerd, I guess. Um, and I, I, I really tried to impart part of their format, the formatting at least, maybe not necessarily the tone and, and certainly the subject matter, but the, the format and the way they did things. And I knew that the, the stuff I re- was really interested in, um, you know, I would check, I would refresh sites six, seven times a day. You know, a guy in my early, mid-20s, I was bored at work. I was just hitting refresh, you know, looking for something new. And I had a stable and a rotation of six or seven sites. And I would just keep hitting them. And I thought, man, you know, no one really does this for sports, especially locally. Um, you know, political, as far as the political blogs go, I mean, in hindsight, I'd probably say something like Drudge. And I'm not necessarily a Drudge fan, but the fact that you kind of have one guy and his, you know, site still looks like it's, you know, 15 years old, but you have one guy who kind of wields this sort of power, uh, to me really said like, hey, there's something here. And, you know, because he cuts through the the clutter and the nonsense. There's so much, there's so much news and information out there, especially with sports. And I'm a huge sports fan, and found myself like, I don't want to read most of these stories about you know mm. a player, mm-hmm. just generic facts about a player, or some you know warm sunshiny story uh, where they talk to a player about overcoming you know some struggle that's not really a struggle and. To find the stuff that was interesting, I was like, there's got to be a way to cut through this. And that's sort of what maybe Drudge did in, in you know, political circles by just pointing out the, the really interesting stuff. And so I kind of, like, married those two styles together. And by the time I started this site, Deadspin was already pretty big. There was, you know, a couple of other sports blogs, um, you know, around here that were, were trying to do the same thing. And I thought, okay, you know, I could do this better and do it as a business. So that, you know, it's kind of all those ideas sort of coming together. And TMZ, I too. I mean, there's definitely a TMZ aspect to the site. So, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that either. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I think, and again, early, even early on, I can't even remember when I started reading it. Probably, I think maybe the um, the first uh, lead trade, maybe. I forget, but I remember covering that pretty well. Um, but when I became aware of it, it was clearly a different tone. You know, matter of fact, I used it a lot. I used pointing to the blog a lot as, hey, if you if you pick your niche and focus specifically on it so you know what you're going to be, and you know what your you know your tone is and what you're going to cover, and also more importantly, what you're not going to cover. In other words, you don't you don't cover sports the way a, a daily beat reporter does. You you cover it distinctly from the entertainment aspect. Was that a conscious decision to say, hey, listen, I'm going to I know that there's other blogs out there like you know there's Bleeding Green Nation these days, and back when you started, there was uh, you know beer leaguers and and things like that were very focused in on um, you know covering sports almost from a more traditional beat writer style. What you did is you said, listen, I'm going to be different and I'm going to cover it more from the entertainment aspect. I mean, talk to me about that a little bit. Was that, I guess it was a kind of a hobby at the at, at the beginning, but was it a conscious decision to say, hey, I'm going to be disciplined about sticking to the entertainment side of the sports equation? Uh, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, there's multiple reasons for that. I would say maybe less conscience at the, conscious at the time, although certainly my mind was um, and now this is, is definitely the case. There's so many people doing things the main way. So just from a business standpoint, it, what value can I add covering it like 20 other people? And this is why, you know, I early on especially got a lot of pushback from people online. It, it was too much, and, you know, you get your quote-unquote haters, and, and that's cool. But, uh, 
you know, the pushback is like, you know, you're doing, why would you do this? You know, why would you not write about the game last night or something like that? And I'm like, you know, this is simple. This is really simple business here. If, if there are 20 burger joints or gas stations on a street, why would I open another one that's exactly the same? You know, what, what, how does that make me stand out? So part of it was I, I want to do something different because that's how you're going to, going to stand out. But also it's, I think, a, a blend of my personality and liking the, trying to find the more interesting stuff. You know, locally, and, you know, I've, I've kind of had, I guess we've had our beefs with, with the guys who had ran this site. They're no longer around. But the Fightins was a site about the Phillies, and it was, you know, they started in 2008. And so they were around 2008, 9, 10 when interest in the Phillies was massive. And I found myself being more addicted to sites like that because they would write about the frivolous stuff. You know, I didn't need to see the box score and all of that because usually we're watching the game and you knew what happened anyway. Uh, and I thought they were they were trying to find like fun aspects um, to what was going on. So I looked at sites like that. I looked at sites like Deadspin, uh, even in like comedy or, or entertainment. There's a site a guy I used to work with read, uh, would read called "What Would Tyler Durden Do?" and it was basically like a guy blog where he would just write about pictures and and make jokes about pictures of uh, uh, hot actresses and celebrities and. The guy I worked with would read it every day at lunch, and I'd hear him laughing out loud at some of the stuff. And I'm like, man, there's nothing like this for sports where it's just sort of irreverent and snarky and colorful. And, um, you know, so I thought this, this is a cool business opportunity. It's the sort of thing I enjoy um, more than the traditional stuff. So, I mean, that's pretty that's pretty much it. But, I mean, it's definitely, you know, just strictly from a business standpoint, it wouldn't make any sense to start a site. You see so many people start blogs and try and just compete with, CSN Philly and Philly.com, it's like you're, it's just not going to work unless you're super into sabermetrics or stats, uh, you know, and have a different angle um, or, you know, just really cover the team on a, on a granular level. Um, you're not going to be able to stand out. And even if you do, you're, the, the more granular you are, there's, you know, Philly's minor league sites and they do a great job, but it's like, how big is your audience really? Are you ever going to be able to get an audience that can actually, um, you know, pay the bills? It's hard enough with a site that, you know, gets, you know, like mine, it gets pretty substantial traffic. So, you know, you, you start whittling that down. I think local is kind of the smallest you can be. Once you pick a team, it just gets, I think it gets too narrow to really monetize it in any, like, real well, real way. Now, I get that. That makes sense. I never really thought about, you know, going, there's a there's a danger of being almost too narrow in there. But listen, let, let's, let me switch gears a little bit because one of the things that motivated me to, to reach out to you is that, I am perplexed by the way the media, the local media, traditional, let's say, media has has treated you. First of all, you know, you personally and your property. I mean, I, I think, look, I I think you're you're it's influential. What you do is influential. You know, obviously, there's the um, oh shoot, he's totally escaping me. Uh, Riley Cooper story, you know, that you broke a couple a couple years ago, right, and things like that. Like it's and you know what else I like too? Like you were uh, when Deshaun Jackson thing was going down. You always shared his Instagram and his nonsense and his goings on there and. And I didn't see that from any other traditional media outlet. In other words, it was clearly a character issue why this guy was ushered out. In other words, Chip didn't like his kind of guy in the locker room. And that's the way it looked like from the outside in. And when you, you could really gain that from the way you covered it by showing, look at these guys' antics on his Instagram and just what he's got going on. And okay, you could see there's an oil and vinegar thing going on here. So there's value there, right? It added to the story. It clarified the story. What I'm constantly amazed at is... is the traditional media's hostility against the value that sites like Crossing Broad bring to the discussion. I mean, can you explain that? Like, why do you think that is? 
Well, I mean, you know, first off, I mean, I definitely, you know, we've we've gotten into it with some mainstream people. We're very critical of, of certainly the the older school mainstream guys. Um, so part of that is is that you know a lot of times they're the target and they're the story. I mean, we were pretty hard on flyers beat writers, so I I think generally speaking, not individually, but as a group, or some of the you know maybe the worst sports coverage team uh, I've ever seen. It's really you know they re- just really do things. You know they complained last year about the flyers. Uh, announcing the starting goalie for the opening game, which is really, it's the most, you know, useless tidbit of news out there. Uh, on Instagram, the Flyers have had a big push towards social media, announced it on Instagram, which I thought was a great way to do it. They took a picture of Steve Mason's helmet and posted it, and it was, it was a cool, fun little thing. And the beat writers freaked out. They were, e- I got some emails forwarded to me where they were emailing each other, threatening to, uh, not cover a charity event because they didn't like the way the team, you know, kind of cut them out of the equation. And so a lot of times they're the focus of uh, the target of our stuff. So I get why they wouldn't like that. Um, you know, I will tell you, there are plenty of local and, and national folks who follow and, you know, have reached out to me, you know, rather frequently and, and truly do like what we do. And, you know, I think a lot of times I get the fact that they might be a little hesitant to put that public because, they might have a colleague that I'm really harsh on, but there are a lot of there are a lot of folks out there who I think do enjoy it and appreciate it, both young and old. Um, you know, so it's it's a little bit of that. You you probably see more of the you know the online squabbling with with some of the guys who are our targets more than more than that stuff. But um, you know, I think part of the reason why they don't quite get it is, and I don't mean this to be you know sound arrogant or whatever, but it might come across that way. People that have been in the media and have reached kind of the higher levels of sports media covering a major team in a major city, whether it's TV or a newspaper, have probably spent their careers, if they're someone who's 50, 60 years old, or even 40, they went to college. They had internships in sports media. They covered, covered their college team. The way you do that is you go to press conferences, you get quotes, you write the story for the next day. Um, you know, you grow up, you're a stringer somewhere, you're, you're logging game film at a, at a TV network late at night, you know, you're doing all this stuff, but your whole world kind of revolves around go to the game, go to press conference, talk to players, write story. And that's, I think, their worldview for the last 20 years or, or whatever. That's the framework they were operating in. So now all of a sudden in the last 10 years when so much information is available online, and I think you can get so much more insight into a player like Deshaun Jackson uh, just by following them on their social media accounts and seeing what they do in their free time and, and where their priorities lie. I mean, you very rarely get a guy to truly open up in a press conference or even one-on-one with the reporter. But when you can see, you know, say, so yeah, you know, this is the most important thing to me, but you can see there's a big game in December of 2013, and Sean Jackson spent the weekend with, like, a six-year-old Internet, like, sensation who, you know, a kid who, you know, a, a fat kid who danced, videos and became this like viral sensation Deshaun basically flew him out to live at his house for the weekend and it's like you know this was the weekend of a football game like it just didn't seems like such an odd thing and you never see that thought about in a press conference but here's Deshaun uh, hours before and after the game posting videos playing with some six-year-old kid and his cousin in the snow and it's it just very strange um uh, you know, so I think you have mainstream people never really thought to look at the stuff on the outside, look at what players are doing on their social media accounts where you can really get some interesting stuff. I think now the mainstream outlets, as they're hiring younger people, 
lots of you know online writers that are in their 20s who who understand this stuff they're getting much better about doing it but there's still a whole generation or two of sports writers talking heads radio people tv people uh who just kind of grew up in this framework of go to game go to press conference get quote check with team pr person and and that's it so they you know they they're not sure how to operate any other way um you know so i understand that but it's why they hate what we do because i i don't want to be there i'm actually more effective especially for our type of style to just not not be at a game or in a press conference and that's not because we criticize players i don't have a problem with that but I'm more efficient. Everything's streamed online. I can watch a press conference online and, and write a story up yeah. while other guys still have a, a recorder in their hand. Well, I'll tell you, that's I, I forgot about that. Deshaun Jeff. What was that kid's name? I don't even remember his name. Little uh, uh, Terrio. Yeah, and for you know, for people who don't know, you know, he was. I guess he was doing a nice thing, but this was like a six-year-old viral star. He wasn't. You know, it was just it was so, such a ridiculous thing. Like he flew him out to spend the weekend with him, but you know, I mean, they were just partying in his house and uh, running around in the in this it, it wasn't quite as endearing as it sounded it was it was like wholly ridiculous the kid sitting in the front seat of his bentley like pretending to drive they're listening to music and you know this is the night before a big game you know typically players kind of shut it down you know especially in the nfl for a day or two and just kind of gave you a sense of like the sean seemed like he was distracted by just about everything <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, right? But uh, that's but I love that as an example, right? Because I remember that, right? Because you did a good job with that. You had the the Instagram video and feeds up there, and you used Storify pretty effectively to encapsulate how you know. That's what I, another thing. Like, I, I again, I'm always well. Two things. I have two thoughts, right? You talk about hey, maybe as uh, fresher minds get their degrees and come out of school, and but I don't think their destination is going to be Comcast or you know. Uh, philly.com or, or daily news because why would i as a 20 something why would i go work there right when i'm going to get paid shit anyway right when i could do it for maybe uh crossing broad an intern for six months or deadspin or, or whatever the latest and greatest blog is or even do it myself by kind of duplicating this i mean do you think this is more of an opinion i'm really curious about your opinion here do you think as far as a talent perspective that because traditional especially print just doesn't have the resources to go pull people in to, to make this shift that they're going to be struggling to, to get the right talent into their organizations to kind of fill this gap because it's clearly a gap. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, there's really not, there's never going to be a shortage of, of young people who want to write and talk about sports, you know, and this is why you could sort of pay entry level, not even, you know, many sports media jobs until you really kind of make it and get on TV or a drive time radio show don't really pay that well because there's so many people who want to do it and it's not particularly hard to comment right about sports. Uh, you know, there's, it's, you know, there's definitely experience that needs to go into it and some schooling and, and, you know, you need to be able to build and hold an audience, but ultimately there's a lot of people who want to do it. So I don't think that's as much of a problem, but I do think that now with so many options, you'll find people that, are really good and stand out, you know, they might be better on their own. And again, I'll kind of look to tech, you know, Bill Simmons obviously just got, you know, let go or not renewed or fired or whatever from ESPN. And, you know, he's got 3 million Twitter followers and he's, he's famous as a sports writer. He could probably go start his own site and be back and charge a few bucks or get a couple of big sponsors and be back up, 
he was making three million at ESPN. He might not be able to earn that much, but he could probably be a millionaire still just by doing his own thing. Um, you know, he's got that many, that big of an audience. Um, you know, you look at, at tech again, a, another example, but there's a guy, um, I'm just watching, reading an article on a site called Recode, which was started by a guy named Walt Mossberg, who I think used to be the head technology writer at the Wall Street Journal. Now, he's, I think, in his 60s, but he left a year or two ago, went and started his own thing because I think he realized, along with a couple of partners and investors, that um, you, know, you could probably – you could do more on your own uh, at this point. You don't need the distribution of a, of a TV broadcast studio or a newspaper printing plant to get your stuff out there. I mean, you need – you know, for, for what I do, a couple – couple thousand dollars worth of computing equipment and you know if you want to do video stuff maybe just a little bit more of of microphones and you know some mixing stuff but you can produce professional quality stuff whether it's written word video or audio for under five thousand dollars you know the the barrier to entry is so low so you know if you're someone who's truly talented um you know it becomes a better option that said sorry about that <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. So that'll stop in a second. Um, so that said, um, I think there are. It, it's very difficult to monetize um, what you're doing. So unless you have that massive audience, like someone like Bill Simmons or, or this guy from the Wall Street Journal, that have a huge audience and will undoubtedly be able to get sponsors and and make money with it, or could even charge for access. If you're a young person coming up, it's very difficult to do. So you kind of jump at the opportunity to take it a, a job at a CSN or a Philly.com. If sure, you get it. sure, yeah. So, you know, it's 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 tough because it is so hard. You, you know, you almost need the mainstream to get the big audience or vice versa. But, you know, it, it's really hard to get the audience and and be able to monetize it without, you know, the help of the mainstream. So there's quite the allure there still to get a paycheck and write about sports and not have to worry about it. So let me let me kind of dive into that a little bit, right? Because monetization obviously is what helps you pay the bills and make a living, right? Keep the lights on, so to speak. And I remember when you released the Google survey. Sometimes it's just like a little gated survey where you, you you take answer one or two questions, and that's part of your monetization early on. I've seen a little bit more ads. I know now you have the the, the banner ad up top, which I think is new in the last couple months. Um, is it is now? Did you? It looks to me, and again, I'm not a tech expert by any sense, but you're not using Google's. It looks like you're using your own ad platform. Is is that what you're doing, or or did you uh, use a third party? I'm curious how you're serving up the ads. Uh, so, yeah, they actually do. Some of them do go through Google. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways to monetize the sites. There are the surveys, and they are actually run through Google. And we did them uh, almost two years ago now. And I was really concerned they were going to impact traffic, but um, you know, the, the return on them is really good. Um, in high, it actually hasn't affected traffic at all, and I, I'd say traffic's probably up 30%, 40%, you know, in the two years since we put them up there. So that's good. And, you know, they, they are really, um, you know, they're really, um, I'd say, successful. You know, I, I put them in with the goal of using part of that money to hire someone, uh, you know, full-time, which I've done with Jim. Um you know, and I think it's a good it's a good value proposition to a reader. It's like, hey, you know, we're an independent thing. Uh, you know, we don't have backing of, of of investors and stuff like that, or or a big company. So if you really like what we do, all we ask is that maybe once a day you take time to answer a couple of questions for a, an anonymous third you know third party market research. Uh, you know, the answers just get aggregated up into totals. It's not given any personal data or anything like that. Um, and to do that, then it kind of unlocks our content for the day. And, 
it, I've gotten very little pushback. If anything, I'll have people send me an email and say, hey, you know, some of this stuff's grayed out. Um, they don't realize they have to click an answer to, to see it. Um, but very few complaints. I was kind of surprised about that. Um, the ads, we sell some on our own. So you see, you know, the local stuff you'll see like Sports Vault or Godfather Locks or Sugar House and Chickies and Pete's, you know, those are, are sold on the own, on my own. Um, and then it, a lot of the other ads are traditional ad network ads. Um, they've, a lot of them go through Google in one capacity or another, but we work with, uh, USA Today Sports Media. Um, and they have sort of a sports blog ad network, so a lot of the ads are, are focused and targeted. So it, I think it ultimately has a little bit higher the CPM than than Google. So and we sell T-shirts and stuff. So it's always trying to create a new way. No one of those things is enough to you know sustain the site, but altogether it, it does pretty well. Um, soon I'm going to be working on you know giving people the option to just bypass the surveys because they do understand it's a little bit of a hurdle to the site. Uh, so in the next couple of months, we're going to offer people strictly optional. It's not going to go behind a paywall or anything of that, like that. But we might offer a premium service where, you know, people can pay a couple dollars a month. They won't get to see the surveys. Um, you know, they'll get a discount on our T-shirts and stuff. So they'll get first crack at any giveaways we have for tickets and stuff. Uh, you know, but in addition, I really want to make it worth someone's while if they're willing to give us money. So we're, we're now working with a bunch of partners. Um, we got, you know, a couple notable companies on there that will offer up our subscribers, you know, really, really good deals and discounts, uh, you know, that they can't find online, you know, above and beyond the standard discount for something, uh, you know, like sports-related stuff. Um, so that's kind of next, and it's just going to be strictly an optional thing for the people who read the most. It's like, hey, if you don't really like the surveys, you know, $199, $299 a month, you don't have to look at them. You'll get discounts on our stuff. You'll get cracks at giveaways, and we lined up a whole bunch of partners that are willing to give you, sure. you know, really good discounts on their stuff. So we're always just we're like trying to invent the wheel, just trying to figure out the best way to to, to do it, you know, without just straight up saying you have to pay to read because I don't I, I don't want to do that. Well, the T-shirts are concerned. I love what you do, right? Because you're obviously creating them so you don't have to license anything, right? They're, if you read the blog, you know what's going on. If you're in tune with Philly sports, you know what's going on. And I love when I'm, when I'm out and about and I, I see your uh, I see your T-shirts. You know, it seems to me, I know people give you a hard time about it sometimes, but I actually think, you know, outside looking in, that merchandise is... As as you grow in popularity, has, has a you know a huge potential. I mean, is it is it have you given it that kind of thought or as far as hey the merchandise can really be a cultural kind of um, you know tie in to what we're writing about and doing, or is it just hey this is just another way to to monetize the site? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. We try and do shirts that are in line with the voice and tone. Um, sorry, in line with the voice and tone of the site, uh, definitely. So I think that is part of it. A lot of the shirts are probably uh, – I think in early on I tried to make them a little too niche to readers of the site, and, you know, they were kind of hit and miss. I think I've learned as you go on, when you, you design something you want people to wear, it's got to have a little bit – you almost have to dumb it down because if people are putting something on them, they don't necessarily want an inside joke. They want something that someone else who might not read the site will look at uh, and get. You know, so we did like when the Eagle signed Tebow uh, in kind of human-sized Eagle Tebowing. You know, and that's the sort of thing that any Eagles or, or football fan will get, you know, after looking at the shirt for two seconds. Um, so we try and tie it indefinitely. Right now, the T-shirts are, um, you know, they they do well when we have a good one. 
but it's not a consistent source of revenue. You know, we'll go a couple of months, you know, and, and make modest sales. Um, and then other times we have a hit shirt. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, allergies. Um, other times we'll go a couple of months. Uh, or excuse me. We'll, we'll have a couple of shirts that are big hits and they'll, they'll move the needle big time for a month or two. When the Flyers were in the playoffs last year, we had a, uh, I'd say a clutch route inspired uh, T-shirt, and same for Couturier. And, um, you know, they sold a lot during the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. And I'm finding that unlike the site where you can kind of be positive and negative and, and have the same readership, you can kind of have, um, you know, gallows humor when things are down and, and celebration sort of tone when things are going well. Uh, the T-shirts, people really only want to buy stuff when they're supporting something. You know, we have a fire Ruben shirt, and it's doing okay, but it's never going to do as good as a shirt that – say, would have celebrated the Eagles signing um, or drafting Marcus Mariota. Uh, we had a, unfortunately, had a good one we couldn't use for that. But uh, so right now, it's, you know, kind of hit and miss. I expect that as there's one or two teams begin to climb out of the doldrums here and become really good, uh, you know, T-shirt sales will get a little more consistent because it's a lot easier to make T-shirts for something that's positive. Um, you know, when you're asking people to buy merchandise, you know, it can't be the negative snarky stuff you see on on the website. So I think there's a possibility there, but it's kind of a, I'd say it's off to the side until we really get some, some local success, uh, which is hopefully soon. Are you doing the design, Kyle? Uh, no, I'm not. It's, we work with a company, um, they're kind of a turnkey solution. They're out of Ohio, and uh, so they have a couple of designers. So they're usually my ideas sometimes we'll work with the designer and they'll come up with something, but it's usually based on me or Jim or, um, you know, just kind of gauging Philly sports and we'll give them a couple of ideas and they'll mock it up and then, and then we choose it. But sure. they handle the design, the printing and the shipping. And, um, you know, I pay for the inventory usually, um, but it, it's, you know, it, I don't have to do the customer service stuff. You know, if there's a problem, there's a team of people that, um, you know, will respond to it and all that stuff. So, Otherwise, it would be a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to be a, a T-shirt salesman, right? Obviously, right? Um, listen, let me get into the to the radio for a second because, and, and here's just my perspective. And again, I'm I'm probably in an older demographic, right? I'm probably in the traditional WIP demographic, if you will. Um, but I'm fascinated by the moves that uh, that they've been making. You covered the the radio shenanigans really well in your Radio Wars uh, posts. And for those of you that are not from the area, there's basically two competing sports radio stations in the Philadelphia region. Uh, one popular host recently shifted from one station to the other, and an outsider was hired about a year and a half ago to come in to, it looks like, be groomed for the morning show at some point in the future. Uh, but anyway, all that said, again, because I'm what I what's interesting to me about radio is, is apps like um, there's a tune-in app for the phone, and CBS Radio has their own. There's iHeartRadio. It makes radio much more accessible today. As a matter of fact, I think it's kind of like, in my personal opinion, it's, it's a it's a lifeline to radio. I think radio really can capitalize on the fact that you're now carrying the radio with you 24-7. But um, again, I'm, I'm perplexed by the, the seemingly... Um, you know, naivete of what's happening at, at these radio stations because they're, they're seem to be moving these chess pieces of personalities and not connecting those personalities to sites like Crossing Broad and, and, and you know, Deadspin and, and else, what else is going on not, in, in two ways, not really covering the as much of the entertainment aspect of sport 
and not really engaging the audience, a, a, a younger demographic, in a way that they're naturally want to be engaged, whether it's through, you know, Snapchat stories or Instagram or, or you know, being aware of the fact that they're carrying the radio in their pocket, uh, maybe making the, the daily broadcast accessible on Stitcher and iTunes and things like that, which I don't think any of the radio stations locally do. They could, but I'm not aware of it. So I'm just, again, same thing as the print journalists here, and, and I'll be specific. You know, I know that you had a little run-in with Andy Bloom, which was, like, puzzling. I don't know what was going on there. And even Josh Innes, the outsider I mentioned earlier, has taken this, like, combative relationship with you, and I, I, don't, I honestly don't get it. I don't know what your site demographics are. I'm going to guess they run a little younger than the radio station. So how do you explain that? Is it because they're just clueless about the fact that they have to communicate in a much more uh, broader fashion with their audience, or they I, I don't know. What, what do you think that is all about? Uh, you know, I, I think I think at this point, most mainstream outlets are aware that they have to do things differently, whether it's radio, Philly.com, places like that. So I think they definitely understand they need a younger audience um, and need to communicate in different ways going forward. I think part of the reason, you know, people like Ennis and, you know, he's been both kind and not so kind to me and, and vice versa. I have as well. So I, I don't think that's quite as combat. I mean, Andy Bloom, you know, what happened on the air, he kind of blindsided me. He was upset because we were reporting, you know, I was reporting about their goings on there and, you know, quite accurately, I would add. Um, but, you know, he didn't like the fact that one of his uh, on-air guys found out about his demotion, uh, you know, by reading my site and not from him. And I was like, you know, that's, that's not my problem. You know, that's that's not my fault. Um so, you know, I, I think part of it is just because of the types of content and stories we do, and, you know, they're kind of a target of the stuff, and it's not always positive. I think it's more that with regard to me than, than not wanting to embrace a younger audience. Um, that said, I, I really don't think places like CBS Philly or Greater Media, which owns 97.5 The Fanatic, uh, get, you know, they're trying, but I don't think anyone really quite understands how to embrace the younger audience. You know, they'll their podcasts, quote-unquote podcasts, are just recordings of the show. And when you think about it, where uh, Sports Talk Radio actually has an advantage, I think, and will always have an advantage, you know, at least for some time, is the fact that it's live. So when something happens, you can't go to a podcast and get, you know, even the one that's most reactive is still going to take a couple of hours after news breaks to record an episode and post it and stuff like that. Radio is always live. So whether it's sports news, whatever, something happens and you're in the car, you can count on, on radio to be there talking about it because they're live and they're on 24-7 or close to it. Um, so there's an advantage there. But when it comes to on demand and listening back, you know, I don't know why anyone would listen to a podcast of a morning show on their drive home because <laughs> everything on there is now four hours old and the format is built for, for mostly for live radios. Whereas podcast, I think it's built for an on demand world. You know, the podcasts are meant to be listened to the good ones. Like, you know, we're talking now and this really won't have any time sensitivity you know, at least over the next couple of weeks and months. So if, if people are interested by it, they can load it up tomorrow or in four or five weeks, and it's still going to have the same, uh, you know, the same value. So I think part of the, the problem is radio has to understand that there is this on-demand world. And a lot of times the format of radio, which is set up for people listening live in 30-minute First, isn't as interesting when you're driving in the car and you have a specific topic you want to hear kind of smart discussion or commentary about, you're going to go to a podcast because it's it's built for you to listen at any time. 
You know, whereas radio, they kind of have to rehash the same subjects and keep people coming back after the break every 15 minutes. I mean, their ratings are measured in 15-minute increments. So their their goal, and I've been told this, is always get people to come back for 15 more minutes. But it's just a whole bunch of teases and stuff. When you want to listen to something you're interested in, you're just going to download a podcast because it's meant for just listen for an hour. You know, we're not going to try and trick you into listening to the next five minutes. It's just going to be, you know, the content's better when you can do it format it that way. So I think that's radio's problem. It's like, you know, how do we you know, how do we do that thing? And I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that yet. And it's going to get tougher as, you know, people like me can live stream podcasts soon. You, know, you already can, but until it becomes when it becomes more mainstream, it's going to get even tougher when yeah. most cars have internet connections and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I, I think that's I would agree with you. I think that it does definitely get get tougher for them moving. But I didn't even really consider it that way. Actually, maybe I did because I think it's what you're basically describing is, look, the format it has one objective, and that's to keep people coming back, right, uh, in 15-minute increments. And I didn't know they, they measured the ratings that way. Um, but I think it also underscores the fact that, and what you're saying, if I hear you correctly, is that, listen, you have to surround your listener with options that are going to suit their entertainment needs or interests when and where they want them, right, without having to tune in, sit in the car, whatever. So is that is that kind of realization from your perspective part of why um, you're starting this kind of, you have this side project called Liberty Broadcast where you're kind of curating a bunch of interesting um, not just sports blogs but entertain I'm sorry podcasts but uh, entertainment podcasts and why you're doing your own I mean is that part of why you're dabbling in that because you think you see the opportunity uh, in the future yeah I mean I like we said in the beginning I where kind of tech and political blogs were seven years ago and sports wasn't quite there yet I think it's kind of the same thing for podcasts right now I mean there are a ton of um, tech podcasts that are doing very well, you know, individual independent things that are making good money. Um, a lot of stuff with comedians, you know, guys like Adam Carolla are, you know, are making tons of money doing this stuff. Um, political circles, you know, entertainment circles, but sports, I mean, there's a, a no shortage of sports podcasts, but a lot of the big ones are from mainstream outlets and they're still kind of formatted in a way that's meant for the the live radio or live TV, you know, they're not really formatted in a way that is meant to be kind of on demand. Bill Simmons' podcast, the reason I think it was so successful is because he understood the fact that these are on-demand things and, and it's not meant to be live daily chat radio. It's kind of a once, you know, once or a couple of times a week sort of thing. So it's a little more evergreen to listen to. Um, so, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm dabbling in it. I think where sports blogs were in 2008 or 2009, I think that's where sports podcasts are today in, in, in five, six years, the same way the lines between a site like mine and, and Philly.com are, I think, increasingly blurred. I think podcasts and radio are going to be like that eventually, especially as, you know, it's already easy for anyone to have a connection. Everyone's got a connection in their pocket, but now almost all new cars have, have a connection. So the difference between a radio uh, signal and a live or recorded podcast stream is just going to be one button away on the dashboard. There's going to be almost no difference. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, again, it's part of the, the struggle with mainstream is, you know, their format, uh, you know, a newspaper format or a radio format was built for the medium. So the reason a lot of traditional news stories are written the way they are is because the important stuff goes to the top and way back when in the printing press, uh, if they had to chop it off, the editors could just chop from the bottom because they knew they'd just be cutting the least important stuff. 
people still write like that for online, which makes no sense because there is no space limit online. And it's kind of the same with radio where it's like their, their thing is filling every minute of the day live. So you're constantly, you have to find topics to kind of keep people um, interested, even if they're not, you know, even if they're kind of meaningless, you need to create these debates about the Eagles quarterback and then harp on that for three awful months. Um, Whereas you don't need to do that when you have something uh, that is, um, you know, recorded and, and built for an on-demand world. I just think the format that becomes different dependent on the medium. And I think that's where both newspapers and radio stations kind of struggle. They, they're doing something for – it was built for a certain medium, and now that the medium's changed, they're, they haven't figured that out yet. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of a it, no. It does make sense. It makes no. Well, listen. This is why. This, look, look. I'm going. This is exactly why I wanted to talk to you, right? Because I think that th- we talked a little about the monetization early, and there's obviously struggles there and a challenge that uh, you as a small business owner are facing, right? Um, but I think your advantage, much like they, their advantages, as far as you said about about being live and being able to react real time. Uh, your advantage is you understand the disruption a little bit naturally because it's more natural to what you're doing because you're using the current medium for the way it's built versus having to figure out on the on the entertainment side, I'm sorry, on the traditional media side, how you kind of fit the square peg in the round hole. So, yeah, it makes absolute sense to me. So but and, if you're, wanna... and if you're a radio station, I was going to just say, you know, you can't do something like we're doing now, having a 45-minute conversation because you'd have to be worried about the next commercial break. And, you know, if someone's in their car and not interested in what we're talking about, then we're going to lose them and we can't do that. So, you know, interviews are capped at 10 and 12 minutes for the most part. And it allows a really good guest. It it forces really good guests sometimes to be cut short, you know, so they can go back to their, you know, regularly scheduled (laughs) nonsense a lot of times. Hey, Kai, I wanna, I'm going to let you go in a minute because I want to be mindful of your time. But you know what I'm really curious about is that DeMarco, you, you really, I think, hit it out of the park with the DeMarco Mary uh, story, right? I mean, I loved what you did that day. You were, I don't know how you got his, the, the flight uh, number, but you were tracking the flight. And I was literally, I was refreshing that thing probably every half hour. And I can't be the only one. So I'm just curious, was that one of your highest traffic uh, days? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, of, of both all time. And, and I guess I haven't looked. But uh, my guess would be so far this year is our highest traffic day of the year. Um, and I'm kind of surprised. I mean, you know, when stuff like that happens and there's big news, and I feel like our advantage, again, sort of the format thing, where we can kind of celebrate along with the sports fan. We make we don't pretend to not be fans and stuff like that. You know, we are fans and, and right like that. So when something like that happens, people – I know because I've been sitting in an office board, you know, refreshing the page when the Phillies were in the World Series, you know, to see what's new and, you know, stuff like that. So I get the fact that when something really interesting or big or exciting happens, you people can't get enough of it. It was the same thing you said you may have found out about the site um, from the Cliff Lee thing. And that was certainly early on one of our biggest days ever because I was like – I've been in that – office chair, you know, wanting, craving any sort of information. And then we spent two days just writing almost exclusively about Cliff Lee. And with the Mary thing, it was like, it was so stupid, <laughs> but it was kind of fun in just a quirky way. Like, here's, here's his plane. His plane's over Ohio. It's over Western Pennsylvania. And it was it was stupid, but it was fun. Like, we weren't trying to, we weren't taking it too seriously. We were goofing around and like, this is awesome. Let's, let's just have some fun and, you know, have some fun with this. And people really liked it. So it's, 
I'm kind of surprised though because I thought, man, maybe this might be like a little too much. But if people really liked it, and I would say I love days like that. Like I, 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 I wish every day, not for, even from a business standpoint, just from a working standpoint, had something that exciting going on. It makes the day go by quicker. It's fun. You know, I'd rather be that busy and, and have something to do. You know, <laughs> nonstop. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought you did a great job with that. Look, I think, again, I'm not just uh, blowing smoke here. I really, you know, I pay attention to the way people are communicating and what works and people that are brave enough to do something like that, like put his, you know, you might have had, had a, a second thought, oh, well, this might be stupid putting his flight number up, but it was brilliant, right? Because it, it kept people coming back. It was interesting. It definitely added to the celebratory nature of taking your, you know, most hated rivals running back and replacing, um, you know, you're, you're the guy you just lost. So I thought you did a great job with that. So listen, Kyle, uh, we've been speaking with uh, Kyle Skowski, uh, otherwise known and better known as Kyle Scott of Crossing Broad. Crossing Broad is the most irreverent sports blog in the Philadelphia region. That's what Kyle calls it anyway. I think you still call it that. But at any rate, um, listen, I want to encourage you if, you, if you happen upon this, hit up Crossing Broad. And, and if you want to see what's going on in the Philadelphia region, because what Kyle does better than anyone in the region is really – identify sport not just as uh you know a, a beat writer recovering the 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 x's and o's or the balls and strikes but also the cultural aspect and the entertainment aspect of what of sports so if you're a fan you want to check out crossing broad and carl uh, i'm sorry crossing broad does a, a phenomenal job of uh, really serving up sport as entertainment as enjoyment as fans so kyle thanks so much for taking time out i know it was a, a longer conversation than i <laughs>